0: Good morning, diarrhea. It's time to wake up. It's 5, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show, your early morning shot of sports on 95.7. Yes, sir! Good morning, family. Steven Lightford did on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game, leading up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast will take you until 10. I mean, which way do you want to go here? Which way do you want to go today? I already know where I'm going, but where do you want to go today? We could start off with what happened with both the Giants and the A's over the weekend as the A's took 3 of 4 from the Kansas City Royals after falling uh, in Game 1 at home, but uh, they never let up after that. The Giants, they split the series with the Nationals after having a doubleheader on Saturday, winning one to nothing on Friday, but yesterday having just one of the more uninspiring Giants performances that I think that um, that I've seen this season. Yesterday, uh, in my opinion, was one of their worst games that they've had. We can go through what happened in the NBA playoffs. Nikola Jokic in that ejection is something that I want to focus on because when I saw that yesterday, I thought it was BS at the start. And coming in this morning... Haven't really changed my tune on it. I still think what happened with Nikola Jokic was BS. So if you didn't see what happened, we'll get into that uh, in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, so we got a lot to go through. Plus, we also got the Euros. I mean, look, I'm a fan of England. If In case you didn't know that, England is my national team in an odd way. I know what you're thinking. Steven, you're from America. What are you doing? Well, my family's from there. And growing up... The English national team was one of those teams for me. You know how you have those friends who might be a a team, a fan of a random team, like the Jacksonville Jaguars, for example, or the Cleveland Browns, or maybe a random Baltimore Ravens fan. It normally has to do with something that happened in their childhood, and that's how it is with the English national team for me. That's how it is, and, you know, they got to... Convincing win, a little bit of a revenge game against the Croatians, and I I could I, I could go off about that. But you know what? I will actually start off with some American sports. that nine five seven zero. That is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. But there are a couple of things that I want to focus on primarily. Now, look, the Giants are forty and twenty five. <laughs> there's there's not much that you can really uh, complain about. Right? But there's a couple of things from the weekend that really stuck out. The Bats, they didn't wake up all weekend. Somehow the pitchers were keeping them within this game. It wasn't the Bats who were coming alive. And the Giants are going to need it now that they're coming back home against the Arizona Diamondbacks, one of the worst teams in the league. You need to beat this team if you want to keep it up. But the Bats just didn't wake up the entire weekend. There are a couple of things, though, I do want to focus on, because on Saturday in Game 1, I do just have to say, what happened in the fourth inning with Kevin Gosman? So, he starts off, look, he's actually pitching pretty damn well in this game, other than, you know, giving up the home run to Schwarber who was the Giants' biggest enemy this entire weekend, other than giving up a leadoff home run to Schwarber, he really wasn't looking too bad. But then in the fourth inning, starting off, Juan Soto walks, and Juan Soto taking pitches, by the way. I don't know about you, but in the entirety of Major League Baseball, if you've listened to this show before, there are plenty of guys who, in baseball, you just watch every single at bat, and, and you know what? I'd like to know from you. Actually, let me hear from you at 888-957-9570, If you had one guy in baseball that you could single out, you don't get to watch any at bats from anyone else in the majors. If you get to single out one guy whose at bats you can watch for the entire season and only his at bats, who would that be? 888-957-9570. Because I mentioned this at the start of the season. you got plenty of guys to go through. And hell, you could actually put Mike Trout in that conversation even though he's hurt and not going to be coming back for another month. But Juan Soto was that guy for me. And the reason why is exactly what happened in the fourth inning. The way that he was taking pitches, grinding that at-bat with Gosman, it all turns into some sort of mind game with him. Because he's got that stance, it's almost like the uh, the Jeff Bagwell intimidation factor. You know, he's crouching down in a real power stance. You know, and Juan Soto to me, whenever he takes pitches and he starts getting into guys' heads, it's all mind games with him. And the whole Soto, you know, the shuffling that he does and the 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 stare down at the pitcher, it's all in the at-bat, and it's all planned out. And I just love watching Juan Soto, so if there's anybody in baseball who I could single out that I'd watch every at-bat, it would be Juan Soto's. But never mind, as we stop talking about Juan Soto's walk, Josh Harrison comes up to the plate. Now, Gosman had struck out Josh Bell after walking uh, Soto to open up the fourth, and this is on Saturday's game. But then Josh Harrison hits a fly ball into right field, and Mike Yastrzemski had made his way back from the IL after straining his thumb. And the reason that he was on the IL in the first place is because he went all out on a fly ball to right field, didn't hear the war- uh, didn't really feel the warning track, and 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 really risked it and went all out to try and catch the ball. Jumped into the wall, hurt his thumb, and was put on the IL. Josh Harrison skies the ball into right field, and Yastrzemski is clearly hesitant on it. You know, I I hadn't seen him like that before. I hadn't seen him like that where he was thinking, overthinking on a fly ball to right field. And at that time, he could have possibly made the catch. It would have been tough, but you could tell he was a little timid going toward that fly ball. Double goes to the wall, then he scores. And really, Yastrzemski had had issues all weekend in right field in Washington. He did not look too great defensively. But the reason I wanted to focus on that inning, specifically from Saturday, and what I want to focus on from yesterday, is the fact that the reason that these innings happened is because of what goes on on defense. Now, again, yesterday, I want to go back to it, the second inning was just ugly, (laughs) <laughs> right the second inning first off it started off with some bad luck because Avila hits one up the middle and again Schwarber had already led off with a home run so the Nationals are already are already up one nothing but Avila hits one toward uh oh hits one up the middle going into the shift as the defense was shifted over Johnny Cueto goes off of his glove then uh you know obviously Crawford's got no play as it just dribbles to Crawford Then Victor Robles comes up, tries to do a sacrifice bunt. Bunts went over toward the first base side, forcing Johnny Cueto to run off the mound to his left. And he couldn't make the play because it was just too tough on him and the ball was out of reach. Then Joe Ross comes up, gets a sacrifice bunt, moves the runners over. Then Kyle Schwarber comes up and hits another home run off Johnny Cueto. It feels like Kyle Schwarber is made to hit off Johnny Cueto. But the point being is you haven't seen many games like this where they've had those errors that are the game-changing type of errors, the ones where you don't even think about it, the easy type of plays. For example, if Avila doesn't hit the ball, luckily, off Cueto's glove... And misdirects it and redirects it over towards short, where Brandon Crawford isn't playing. Who knows? It probably would have gone to Crawford. Would have started the inning out with the well, with with one out, no runners on. Victor Robles would have been forced to bunt. It could have been a completely different outcome. And I go back to Saturday. If Yostremski makes that catch on Josh Harrison, we could be looking at a completely different outcome too, because Juan Soto was able to score off of that from first. We have not seen that with this Giants team that much at all this season. And I think that that is something that personally for me, considering that we've been watching a team that struggled with defense last season, we didn't really pay attention to it too much because we were so focused on what Gabe Kapler was doing with the bullpen and trying to blame Gabe Kapler for all these moves, that one thing that we really overlooked was the fact that the defense behind them wasn't giving these guys much help. And that's what they have been doing this season. And it's shown its ugly head more than ever in that good, clean, fundamental defense is what helps win ball games, And obviously, you need the bats to wake up. I mean, it just didn't look like anyone could get any hits yesterday. Now, Joe Ross did look good. He had nine strikeouts. And Joe Ross, by the way, started off the season incredibly hot. So it's really no surprise that he could do this sort of thing. But guys like Kyle Schwarber, guys like Josh Harrison, it didn't feel like Josh Harrison could miss anything. It really didn't. This dude was getting up in the count early and just mowing guys. It was crazy. The dude was, <laughs> it didn't matter where, left field, right field, whatever it was. Josh Harrison could do no wrong this weekend, but uh, Kyle Schwerber was the same way. And none of these other guys on the Giants really could get anything going. Um, you know, they'd get guys on base here and there, but for the most part, they really weren't taking that inspiring of at bats. And that's what's going to have to wake up if they do. Want to start to, you know, try and actually come back from this little uh, two-game loss that they had over the weekend? Because I got to tell you, it was debilitating. You know? It, it was debilitating watching that game yesterday. Because slowly but surely, it just felt like every play was going the Nationals' way. And everything that was happening in the second inning for the Giants in that game just showed, like, you know, they still have their issues. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that was happening. But by the way, one thing other that I want to uh, mention here, which shows a change, it was the fact that in the sixth inning, in the top of the sixth, Johnny Cueto was meant to lead off, and Johnny Cueto hit in the top of the sixth. Even though he'd given up multiple runs, didn't look comfortable, that moment where he rolled to his left to try and get that sacrifice bunt, thought he was hurt for a second until he warmed up with a couple of pitches and they deemed him to be okay. But he still remained in within the sixth inning, and you know, coming to the bottom of the sixth, starts out with a walk. Joe Russ, Joe Ross gets a sacrifice bunt. Schwarber walks. Trey Turner walks. Then they go and make the change with Jose Alvarez. It didn't feel like they were going to go with any other strategy than to keep Johnny Cueto in until the sixth inning. And I did find that to be an interesting tidbit to this, because one thing last season that uh, was getting under a lot of people's skin was just how much the bullpen was being used by Gabe Kapler. And, you know, in the past few games, they have been used quite a bit. Uh, The bullpen has been worked, for sure. But I, I do think it shows a change in his managerial tactics in that he wanted to leave... Johnny Cueto wins through six innings, because he said the entire time the plan was to go from Cueto, get to the sixth, then bring in Jose Alvarez at the right time. Now, granted, the bats hadn't done anything, so what would the bullpen work, really? What would have changed in this game? But I do think that was something to keep an eye on. Triple eight nine five seven is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. But coming up next... I do want to get to what happened with the A's because there is a player that I haven't really talked about as far as, ha- uh, as far as the A's go. Talked a lot about Matt Olson, Mark Canna, Ramon Laureato, the impact on their team, and the starting rotation. That's uh, been a majority of what we talk about with the A's. But there's one guy in the lineup who has been relatively quiet this season. But he woke up over the weekend. We'll get to that next. 888-957-9570. That's the text line of the phone number. Stephen Langford on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Steven Langford. Triple 957 9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. I'd like to know from you, and I want to know from A's fans on this, who are your guys that are quote-unquote untouchable? You know, when we're talking about the Warriors, whether they'll make any trades, any changes to their roster, we always talk about the untouchables, Right. Some people have just Steph and Clay. Some people have just Steph. Everyone else is good. Some people have Steph, Clay, Dre, Wiseman. You know, you have a lot of that. And with the Giants, right now, the Untouchables, it seems like are Crawford and Posey. But I want to know from A's fans who to you. Are the untouchables on this team as we approach the trade day, uh, uh, the trade deadline in a couple of months here? But I want to know from you at 888-957-9570, uh, That's the text line and the phone number. Who are your untouchables, quote unquote, on the A's? But before we get to that, I do just want to say it was nice watching a fight card over the weekend in UFC in UFC two sixty three. That can wash the terrible taste that a fight like Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul can bring you. You know, I, I'm not gonna lie. This entire week, after I watched that thing on on Sunday, I, I kind of forgot what it was like to live in an era where there's actually these combat sports that have the competition. That stick with the integrity of the sport, and you know UFC. Sure, it's got its issues, like Dana White's. Uh, you know, a crazy person, but I do think that the card that they brought out this weekend in UFC 263 it it, uh, it 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 instilled my hope again in combat sports, and that these things can actually be done for the definition of competition, the definition of doing it for the love of it instead of just for the fame and the money and all of that sort of stuff so shout out to the UFC man that was a good card over the weekend and I'm not gonna spoil anything as to what happened but man they're even even the prelims even the prelims were great but A 9579570 I want to know from you if you're an A's fan who on this team are your untouchables so to speak? Because one guy that I want to pay attention to, as you know, the A's lost a first tough one in the first of this four game series to the Royals, but then ended up uh, taking the final three over the weekend. But one guy that I do want to focus on is Matt Chapman. And Matt Chapman is a type of guy for me who is an untouchable. You do not get. Those types of players that come around on your team, so every uh, you know, all that often, these third basemen who are just unbelievable on defense. And the funny thing for me with Chapman is I've always gone back and forth on this, and you know, some people try to uh, try to denigrate what he does. You know, he's not that good with the bat and, and all that sort of stuff. And this year that has been true. It's definitely been true. I mean, he's been damn near at the point where he was uh, uh, under the Mendoza line even in the month of May. He's been kind of hovering around that um, every so often. He has not been that great with the bat this year. Um, But over the weekend, he started to pick it up. As he went 0-3 in that first game on the 10th, that was back uh, on the Friday, or excuse me, on the Thursday. But then on the Friday, Saturday and Sunday, he ended up going three for four on Friday, three for five on Saturday, and one for four on Sunday. Now the funny thing with me for Chapman is that guy is so good at third base. And knowing over the weekend for the Giants how much of a factor into their forty win season that defense has played... I've kind of looked at Matt Chapman the same way that I looked at Brandon Crawford over the years. Sure, we've seen them have their highlights with the bat. We've seen them hit with power, but we've also seen them be pretty streaky. Right. And we'll see what happens with, uh, with Crawford because he's been on a tear ever since the beginning of the month of May. And you wonder whenever it's going to cool off because at the end of April, he was hitting 205 and somehow he jacked that average all the way up to 260 within a month. But Matt Chapman before this series, he was at a 204 batting average. That was after the Diamondbacks and now he's back up to 221. Granted, that's not where he wants to be. He currently has 7 home runs on the season and 29 RBIs, but if this is the type of series that gets Matt Chapman going, on top of that glove with how well he plays third base, I just think his offense, the thing whatever he brings, that's a luxury at that point. You know, you can get bats at any other part of the field on this team, but if you have as good of a glove as you do at third base, I don't even care if he's hitting two twenty or if his average isn't where it's supposed to be. Replacing a guy like that would be incredibly tough, and there are little things that he does where you completely take it for granted. And again, I go back to what I was mentioning in the first segment with the Giants and the Nationals in their series. I've been taking defense for granted for a majority of the season. I really have. And now that they've been one of the better defensive teams in terms of errors, and they have 40 wins on the year, sure, they've been getting timely hits and their pitching's been great, but their defense is something that you can't overlook. And it's the same with Matt Chapman to me. Matt Chapman makes plays that we don't even think about. Plays in the opening... Out of, or in the opening batter of an inning where he'll hit up. he'll hit a line drive to third base right to the hot corner. Somehow Chapman will go to his right backhand it and make a terrific throw to first base and they'll get him out and we've we're, we're so used to at this point Chapman making those types of plays that we don't stop to think, man what would happen if he didn't make that play? You get a runner on first, next batter up. I don't know, possibly tries to lay down a bunt, gets a runner in scoring position, then gets something scoring going for uh, uh, for the opposing team, no matter who it is. And Chapman makes those types of plays every game. But if his bat starts to come alive now, whew, <laughs> I mean, what what was he? Seven for 13 in these last three games? Seven for 13 with a couple of home runs? one on Saturday and one yesterday, his bat starts to wake up, man. And the fact that they're already in first place in the American League West and one of their best players in general hasn't been playing up to his potential. I mean, you got to watch out, man. And speaking of which, by the way, the other Matt on the other corner, Matt Olson, has been having another great year. And he had a couple of home runs yesterday, Uh both solo shots. And, you know, you want more than solo shots. You need guys on base whenever you got Olsen at the plate. But this dude has also been playing lights out, too. So if you can get Matt Olsen going, Matt Chapman going, I mean, Olsen's already making a case as an all-star. He's got 18 home runs, and he's got 47 RBIs on a two eighty 280, uh, 289 average, and overall a 984 OPS but these guys continue to prove time and time again. I don't know what's going to happen with Mark Canna. Mark is an unrestricted free agent next year, and he's having a pretty good season. I think they could get him on the cheap. I don't know who they're going to trade. Uh, I don't know what kind of position they're going to get. Last week, we said that, hey, maybe the A's should trade for Trevor Story and take a look at that because you do need a change. It's made at shortstop as well as what's going on with the pitchers. But in my opinion... You at least got to keep those guys on the corner in Olsen and Chapman, and then Ramon Loriano in center, when he's in the game, he brings that spark. Laureano, you could tell, is just a good ball player. You could tell right away. And, and you know, the, the numbers don't always equate the type of player that he is, in my opinion. Sometimes they may not look that great, but... What he does on defense and the type of energy he brings, the body type—you could just tell he's an athlete and someone that you'd want on your team. So as of right now, Chapman luckily got that average back up to two twenty as it was on two oh one on fr- as of Friday. But look, good series win for the A's as they uh, took three of four. And let's see here from the five one zero, both mats on the corners from the five one zero, Shappy, Ollie, and Loriano from the five one zero. Definitely untouchable, Chapman, Olsen, Manaya and Loriaño. I go back and forth on Manaya man. I really do. <laughs> I go back and forth on him because he always does pretty well the regular season. And then when it comes to playoff time, if I have Manaya on the mound, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to think that, hey, yeah, the lineup needs to step up in this game. Like, that's normally how I'd be thinking. Also from the 408, Chapman, Olson and Loriano are must-keeps. You gotta build around them. You never know with the A's, man. You never know. If if there's anything that we have learned in the past decade is this team can win as as much as they want in the regular season. You never know how that roster is going to be looking going forward. They're really at that point where it's just a mystery. But uh, the A's begin a three-game set against the Angels as they continue their homestand after taking three of four from the Royals, obviously taking the two previous against the Diamondbacks and now staying at home, going up against the Angels as they remain in first within the American League West. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number. For the 925, I'm sorry, all these stats and no WOPAs? That's Oscar from Concord. What, I'll give you the WOBA? I can give you the WOBA coming up next. I wasn't really paying attention so much to WOBA. I was more paying attention to the fact that Chapman was barely hitting over two hundred before uh before Friday. <laughs> before Friday. Then comes through with a seven for thirteen uh past three games. Just telling you, man, on top of that glove, the things that he does for you there defensively, if he can get it going on offense, it's just a luxury at that point. That's kind of how I view it. Triple eight nine five seven, nine five seven zero. That's a text line in the phone number. Want to transition to a little bit of basketball talk, though. And I'll get the wobas. But, but for basketball yesterday, what happened in that sport, in my opinion, was not good for both games. We had the Nets and the Bucks, and Kyrie Irving went out with a sprained ankle with the second quarter. And then in the second game with the Nuggets and the Suns, and I want to hear from you at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. That's the text line and the phone number. That's the main topic that I want to be paying attention to today. But Nikola Jokic getting ejected, getting a flagrant two in the third quarter for trying to get his team fired up. I want to know from you at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Was that an ejection? Should that have been an ejection? Or should Jokic have stayed in the game? And if you didn't see what happened yesterday, I'll try and explain it for you and paint the picture as what happened with the Suns and the Nuggets. Overall, was just not good for the sport. 888 That's the text line on the phone number. Steven Langford on the pregame show. 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. a 957 9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything today. We'll get back uh, into some baseball as to what happened over the weekend with the Giants and the A's and I'll have that Woba for you for, for both mats a little later on in the program for the one of you who want to hear the Woba but we will get to we, we will get back to all of that and um, I mean just an overall good weekend in sports you had the French Open with Novak Djokovic who fought back in order to win you had the Euros happen, and my goodness, that incredibly scary moment with uh, Christian Erickson, who is one of the premier players, and he just um, went down and and essentially went into cardiac arrest. But the, he is in stable condition and he's okay. But man, that's just a that's just a terrifying moment where you know it's an unforced play. There's a throw in uh, from outside the line and. So, I mean, he was just going after the ball and just collapsed. It was a terrifying moment, but uh, luckily he is okay. And he also had the UFC card over the weekend, which was good. But what else we had happen over the weekend? We had the Bucks and the Nets, as the Bucks have now tied the series at 2-2. And yesterday, it took... Kyrie Irving getting hurt in the second quarter in order to help the Bucks get back to where they wanted to go because there was some point uh, within that fourth quarter when the Bucks started to pull away and they showed the stats. was the Nets. They were like 0 for 12 from 3 ever since Kyrie had gotten hurt. And, you know, that ankle injury, that sprained right ankle, we know that all too well here uh, within Warrior Land. And when you take away, you know, all of that stuff that we may think of Kyrie Irving off the court all of that 2016 shot that he hit when he was with the uh, when he was with the Cavs we take all that away it just stinks to see an injury uh, like that happen to a player especially a guy who is so pivotal uh, within the series and you know he hadn't had that great of a game up to that point he'd only scored 11 points on 11 shots uh, but it was way too much for the Nets to overcome as the Bucks they tied the series, and it's no surprise now. They're actually starting to get some help uh, from their other players, and Giannis is getting to the hoop more and more. Still trying to jack up threes. It's it's never going to be more frustrating. I'm telling you, there's, there, there's that top three list of the type of threes that guys take. I mean, you know, number one and two could be split between Steph and Dame, where Steph has that pump fake sidestep three that's just incredibly popular that we, that we love. You got Dame, who consistently hits the pull up threes. That's incredibly pretty when he does that. Then you got Luka Doncic, who hits that step back three, which is just brute, uh, just beautiful as far as like the top, my top three favorite guys, um, with their three point moves. It's those guys, but my guy who shoots my least favorite three is Giannis Antetokounmpo. It is Giannis, and maybe that's just because the defenders are sagging off of him, daring him to shoot the three, and yet somehow he still does, even though he clearly is cold. I mean, I like the confidence, but man, at some point, it's just like, draw up some plays to try and get my man an open look or something. Instead of just... Yeah, having him heave it from three, I can't stand watching him shoot from three. But nevertheless, he did have 34 points and 12 rebounds. Um, but I don't, I can't believe actually this series is tied. I really can't. Now, granted, James Harden being out with the hamstring to start out the series, that was tough. But the Nets were able to overcome that with KD, and KD, been fan- KD had been fantastic. Uh, but in this game, he wasn't as efficient as he normally is. He only scored 28 points on the 25 shots, and he knocked down some uh, some clutch drum- uh, some clutch jumpers there in the second half. But I can't believe the series is split right now. I really can't. I watched those first two games. Granted, they were in Brooklyn. I watched those first two games, and I'm like, maybe the Nets will give up one when they go to Milwaukee. Maybe. Because the amount of adjustments that the Bucks need to make, it's way too much. They need to make, like, five or six different adjustments. One of them being Chris Middleton uh, gets some scoring from him in clutch opportunities, which they have in the past couple of games. Whew. But now, getting that 107-96 win... I mean, it just, it stunk watching that injury knowing that you're not going to get the best possible version of the Brooklyn Nets teams because as much as we may hate these super teams, as much as we don't like it when stars join forces, it only works when all of them are together. And not seeing that Nets team together, I mean, you know, you may say what you want to say about Kyrie Irving and James Harden, but them not being on the floor right now, I think I'd much rather see a Bucks nets series where a majority of the guys on the Nets are actually healthy. But yesterday, I also want to talk about this game, as the Suns have officially swept the Denver Nuggets, getting the 125-118 to win, and all eyes are on Chris Paul. Chris Ball... Chris Chris Paul. Chris Paul was amazing yesterday. He was amazing. And that third quarter, when he was 6-for-6 six six from the field, 12 points. Granted, he only had one turnover, but that would be, uh, be one of his two turnovers in the game. That third quarter that he had yesterday, where he was just lights out, getting to his spot from the midrange and just getting up whatever shot he wanted, it was great. Let, 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 it was it was amazing to watch, especially this dude. I mean, what Chris Paul? I mean, I forgot even how old he is. But seeing a guy who's been, I mean, do you even want to put the uh, uh, put the nickname like the the moniker that he's a journeyman? Do you even want to put that for Chris Paul? But at 36 years old, he's played for a ton of teams and has, quite frankly, been stopped by the Golden State Warriors time and time again, but hasn't gotten to the promised land with any of these other teams. It's amazing. At this point, and and you know what, that's what I want to know from you before we get to the ejection in that game. I want to know from you at 888-957-9570, are you officially rooting for Chris Paul? Or are you still rooting against him and still have your feelings towards him and just how he is as a player? But overall, 37 points on the 7 assists. He only turned the ball over twice, which is just unbelievable. And he was just ha- he had his best night scoring this entire series in this game. And he was just so fun to watch. Just everything that he was doing. They couldn't stop him. His handle was so sick. Everything that he was doing in the third quarter. If you were here at the broadcast and you heard Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller, they were just going off about Chris Paul. Going off about him. However... There was a moment in the game in the third quarter where clearly the MVP, Nikola Jokic, was frustrated. Was very frustrated. Campaign gets the ball from the from the Suns, obviously. He gets the ball in his hands, then Jokic tries to swat the ball away by coming up behind him, and he has a you know a, a, a huge advantage size wise over campaign so he goes to campaign tries to swat the ball away from behind him and instead clips him in the face and then he ends up getting ejected for a flagrant 2 uh here's the call this is from the nuggets radio network the altitude radio network here we go the crowd might go crazy here I love you. The call on the floor has been determined to be a flagrant foul. Penalty two on Nikola Jokic. He's been ejected from the game. Oh, my God. That's a flagrant two? Wow. (laughs) So a flagrant one, obviously, the difference between a flagrant one and a flagrant two is you get the technical foul, they shoot the free throws, and it it, it essentially says, like, there was no harmful intent on the play. But a flagrant two, because he reached behind and, you know, basically swatted his face on the way down instead of getting the ball. Now, Reggie Miller, granted, was saying at the beginning that it was all ball, when clearly it wasn't all ball. His elbow, like, clipped his head. And then Devin Booker goes to confront him. Then Devin Booker gets charged a technical for that. Devin Booker just going to uh, going to back up his teammate, which is, which is all well and good. I mean, and, you know, <laughs> you do that against Jokic. Whew! Did you see the way Jokic was looking at him? I wonder what he said. And we'll get to what Jokic and Malone, uh, Mike Malone, their head coach, as well as what Devin Booker had to say about it. But in my opinion, a flagrant two for that in that time when there's 350 left in the third quarter and the Nuggets are only down by eight. I mean, they take a look at that. I saw that play. It was a frustration foul, no doubt because Chris Paul is just having a dynamite third quarter where he just couldn't be stopped and Jokic was clearly annoyed but giving him a flagrant 2 for that it's not like he just straight whopped him across the face you know I, who who was it i think it was um i think it was Robert Parrish who hit Bill Lambeer. i saw someone post a video of that saying no that has malicious intent behind it what Jokic did did not and everyone on social media, every athlete is getting frustrated with it, calling the league soft. They clicked him, they kicked him out the game. That's what Russell Wilson had to say. Swaggy P, Joker looks scary, like the real Joker, like he got a couple of hitman the way he look at Booker. Trey Young, a flagrant two. Wow, Ja Morant voiced his opinion, tweeting playoffs. Period. Elimination game. Period. Give him a flagrant one and play ball, man. Period. I was going back and forth on it. I really was going back and forth. But I watched it time and time again and just knowing the place that they're in, I'm just thinking, how can you really call that a flagrant two in that moment? You know, getting to that point in the playoffs, I kept seeing everyone say, well, if it were any other player, they probably would have called it a flagrant too as well. I don't know if they would have. I don't know if they would have. I think because Nikola Jokic is just so damn big and there's the size difference between him and campaign. They said, this guy's going after the little guy. I personally think the size difference is what what made the refs go to that conclusion. But please, feel free to weigh in at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero 957 9570 on the text line or the phone number. Should Jokic have been ejected for that play? Because personally... I didn't agree with it, and Nikola Jokic, after the game, now his accent is a little thicker, so you have to uh, really try and listen to it. But listen to what he says here as to why he made the foul, and this makes a ton of sense. I thought I I wanted to change the rhythm of the game. I wanted to give us some energy, maybe to change the whistle a little bit. So I tried to make a hard foul. Um, Did I hit him? Did Did I hit him? Didn't hit him. We don't know. So I say sorry if I did. Because I didn't, I didn't do it on pur- I didn't want to injure him or hit him in the head on purpose. So I, I watched the game uh, on the on the uh, uh, in the locker room to cool off a little bit. So he said he was doing it to motivate his teammates, and we've all done that in sports, right? Where we make a play out of frustration, and then anytime we're asked to explain it after. I mean, no, It's granted, it's not on the national stage where this is all over ESPN and you got everybody talking about it the next day. Granted, it's not that. But we've all been in that situation if we played sports before where we maybe make a hard foul or do something that's unnecessary. And then after the fact, you think in your head you're trying to justify it. Like, yeah, this is why I did it. Where in reality, you couldn't just control yourself. I do think that is what happened with Jokic afterward. But I also think he was going for the ball and wasn't going for his face. I don't think there was any malicious intent behind that move. And I'm seeing that yesterday, how many of you tuned out after that? Like there's no chance that the Suns have a or the, the Nuggets have a chance at beating the Suns after that. If the MVP is gone, there's no chance. Now Devin Booker star on the Suns, he had a pretty good game yesterday. I mean Chris Paul was the star with thirty seven points, but Devin Booker with just a quiet thirty four and eleven night, the dude's unbelievable score in the basketball. But he was the one to confront Jokic after that play. And listen to what Devin Booker said here after the game. I think you know it was just an emotional play. You know, I don't think he meant harm by it after, but you know, it was just a frustration foul, but you know, it was it was tough just defending my teammate. You know, that was it. But I seen him go up to Cam after and, and apologize. And, you know, I've played against the Joker multiple times. I know, you know, he's not a malicious player. So you hear that. And we've seen in the playoffs already, there's been multiple instances where, you know, you got Anthony Davis kicking Jay Crowder in the Nuggets. I think it was Jay Crowder, right? <laughs> you got that happening. You got... everything that was happening with this whole play, it was just looking back and I'm thinking, you know, if you haven't really called this with any other player, there's been far worse plays than that. And you decide to call it on that guy, Nikola Jokic. I do think that getting the MVP, you do have some some breathing room with the refs. I do think they give you a, a longer leash when it comes to these sort of plays. But I watched that yesterday, and you could tell that it was just a foul out of frustration, and he wasn't looking to actually harm campaign with any sort of intent. I think the slow-mo makes it look far worse than it actually is. I really do. From the five one zero, Yes, exactly. If he doesn't hit him in the face, it's a steal. He was going for the ball still. You never know, right? That's the issue with these plays is you never know. But just to give him a foul in that in that time when they got 350 left in that big of a game where it's a winner go home situation for the nuggets and you eject their mvp i don't know if they were doing that to make a statement but watching it over and over again in real time that is not the type of play in my opinion that's worthy of a flagrant 2 if there's a guy who's going up for a fast break dunk or a layup and one of the other players pushes him over yeah Flagrant too, absolutely necessary. They're not going to make a, a, a play on the ball. They're not trying to make a play to, uh, to give them an opportunity on offense. They're just going out to hurt the guy. But for this sort of play... I, don't, I I didn't see where people were coming from, man. Where they're saying he absolutely should have been ejected. There's no, there's 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 no question about it, and that's how it was on social media. I try to stay off Twitter as games are going on. I really do because I do think that if you go on Twitter, that subconsciously the uh, the tweets that are that are being tweeted live, uh, they do change your opinion of the game, and I do think um, they do it subconsciously without you even realizing it. But I did want to go on Twitter to see the reaction there. And it was split 50-50. There was no one really on the line. It was, oh yeah, he should have been ejected. No doubt that's a flagrant too. Or the other side who are like me, who are saying, no, that they shouldn't have ejected him. What are they doing in that situation? Come on. Come on. Michael Malone, Nuggets head coach after the game. <laughs> he, he's made headlines already by saying that his team's quit. That they have every reason to hold their head down. That they uh, that essentially went scorched earth on his own team after the first co- or after uh, game three. But here's what Michael Malone had to say. He said, "Look, I'm shocked that it happened. Game four, an elimination game at home. Before they had determined their their decision on the flagrant two, I had watched a replay myself on one of the coach's computers behind the bench, and I just assumed." And we all know you should never assume, uh, but I assumed it would be a a flagrant one at the worst. From my vantage point and watching the replay, I did not think uh, it was a non-basketball play with malicious intent. And I just didn't feel like uh, it warranted a flagrant two ejection because he's making a play on the ball. There's marginal contact to Cameron Payne's nose, I believe. Uh, So I was shocked, I'm still a little bit shocked, that they called a flagrant two and ejected the MVP on such a play. It's a bad look. It's not a good look, especially when you got some of your star players speaking out against it. And, you know, when we always talk about the refs, we always go against the refs, and they always have uh, their reasoning for it. But in the end, you shouldn't have made that call to get him ejected. Flagrant one, maybe, but you got to let these guys play it out. This is playoff basketball, after all. And sure, he was making it out of frustra- uh, frustration because Chris Paul was going nuclear. But they shouldn't have ejected him for that. They shouldn't have ejected him for that. Um, so tonight, we do have the Sixers against the Hawks and the Jazz at the Clippers. Uh, the Sixers are currently up 2-1 to one on the series as they are in Atlanta yet again. And then they're going to be at home for the Clippers as the Jazz are up 2-1 in that series. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But the Suns are the only team to move on as of right now, sweeping the Nuggets. And in my opinion, if you're a Warrior fan, I don't think you can help but find the similarities in these teams, the way that they came up. Now, granted, I, I kind of look at, you know, Devin Booker and the way that Steph Curry was uh, at the same time was with this team for a few years. Now, granted, Curry started off getting hurt a majority of the time and they got him on the cheap. So that turned out to be a little different. But with the way that these teams are being constructed and the way that they talk about their teammates, if you listen to the, any of the post game, a lot of it is praising teammates, praising teammates. And. It's just very reminiscent of those teams with the Warriors that got started. Now, granted, I will say this, that the Warriors took a little bit more time uh, to get to where they needed to go, to get to where the Suns are at now. But I can't help but find the similarities in this Suns team. I'm going to be rooting for them uh, going forward, especially when they play whoever wins uh, with the Clippers and the Jazz for the Western Conference Final. And also, the thing is, I'm going to be rooting for the Suns because, hey, I like rooting for the people who are going to win. And I think that the Suns are going to win uh, that series, the future series, whoever it's against. But we still have uh yet to await who that's going to be. But Chris Paul, man, what he was doing yesterday. If you didn't see what he did in the third quarter, uh, I highly recommend you check it out. All right. So the A's, they have three more games at home against the Angels, and then they go on to New York for a three-game series against the Yankees. So stack up these wins at home whenever you can. And the Giants, they had a tough weekend against the Nationals, as they did split the series. But I do think that one thing that reared its ugly head is that when you play some crap defense, like they did in that second inning yesterday, and also like they did in the first game of that doubleheader in that loss um, when Kevin Gosman was pitching, I think the value of defense has been shown more than ever with this team. So they're going to be back against the Diamondbacks at home, You need to stack up these wins as you are a 40-win team going up against a 20-win team. I mean, come on. You need to get these wins. And for the 405, seems mandatory now to turn on social media while watching in a game. I'm telling you, subconsciously, there's something there where you're watching a game and it might change your opinion on something. I try to stay off Twitter, man, during a game. Just try it once. It's weird. <laughs> 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in on anything the Morning Roast has to talk about. They got Dave Fleming coming up at 8 o'clock and Luis Gonzalez at 8.50. So stick around. Tune to the roast now. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at 4. Doncic.